From the studios of Teeing It Up in the Swamps of Jersey, this is Teeing It Up with Jeremy Schilling for Wednesday, May 8th, 2019. It's May, Danny. We're joined by Danny Flecker here on Teeing It Up. It is May 8th already. Seventy and sunny down here, so we'll take that too. Um, we've talked in the past about how you know, obviously because of its Irish heritage and Irish roots, St. Patrick's Day is like a national holiday level deal in Boston in terms of just you know people going out and enjoying it and partying it and all that and the whole and and the whole maple leaf. Uh, sorry, the 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 whole uh, logo for the Bruins and the whole nine yards. The, the, the uh, sorry, the uh, clover leaf. Excuse me for the Celtics. Let's 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 well, let's get that straight before I get twenty hateful uh, tweets. Um, <laughs> uh, and then obviously April Patriots Day. That's a big day. What's Cinco de Mayo like up there? I was on a Sunday this year, so I kind of even forgot that it was happening. Um, but I mean, it's like anywhere else, right? You go out, you party, you grab some drinks with some friends, some tacos, and enjoy yourself. There you go. All right. Um, we have to start with soccer, which is why he's on. He's, he's on. He's on the show. Um, unless you want to talk about how Odell Beckham wants to make Cleveland the new New York, but I don't think you want to go there. Um, you're a soccer diehard. You're like me. I can talk about some, you know, Kyle Stanley's collapse at the Farmers Insurance Open years ago, and you'll be like, "What?" Um, you remember things. Yesterday, being down 3-0 to Barcelona, heading into the second leg, needing to win on aggregate, and winning 4 nothing. Um, where does that rank in the pantheon of both Liverpool's history and of soccer you've watched over the years? So, from a neutral perspective, with no horse in the race, like as a soccer fan just watching the game, it was a very exciting game to watch. You knew, uh, you know, their manager came out, before and said, if we're going to fail, we're going to fail beautifully. And they were out two of their main players. Um, they, they knew they had to score. And from the onset, this manager is known for a higher pressing, aggressive style uh, team on defense. They like to hit on the counters, play out wide, use their speed to their advantage. And from the beginning, they took it to them. And I didn't watch the first leg, unfortunately. And you know, from what I was reading, Liverpool just seemed to be unlucky in the first leg. They weren't able to, to, to get anything, you know, past the goalie. They weren't able to, to finish. And due to some brilliance by Messi, you know, they were they were down 3 nothing and going home. Um, they used their home crowd as an advantage. Uh, Barcelona looked, uh, they looked like a shell of themselves. And Liverpool took it to them early. It was one nothing at halftime. And if you're a Liverpool fan, you're like, okay, well, all, all we need to do is keep playing, and, you know, if the ball bounces our way, we'll get in there. You know, maybe we'll have a shot here. They made a crucial substitution at halftime. They brought on this guy, uh, Giorgio Wijnaldum. Uh, not like a fan, you don't know who he is, but he was on the bench to start off the game, comes in, scores the second goal on a beautiful volley, you know, just hammers it through. Second goal was on a cross, so he came on off the bench and scored two goals in the first 20 minutes. So now it's 3-3 in aggregate, and now, as a soccer fan, you know that it has to, the game has to open up a bit because if Barcelona scores, 
it's over. They get the away goal, they're, they're through. If Liverpool scores, yeah, they're still good, but if they gave up another goal, they still would not advance. So the game was helter-skelter for the last, like, 25 minutes, and I don't know if people saw the goal that, that Liverpool scored to make it 4 nothing, but it's a heads-up play by them. It was a corner kick. Another ball was on the field. Someone kicks it off. The guy's walking away from it. Then he quickly goes and takes a corner. A guy's unmarked right in front of the net, puts in a beautiful shot on the one time to, to seal the, the game, basically, for them. So from a, a soccer perspective, it was probably one of the biggest collapses in Barcelona's history, if not soccer history. And not to mention, this is the second year in a row where they've gone in on the second leg away with a 3-1 or 3-0 aggregate and have lost. So they did it last year. They went to Rome. They're up 3-1 in aggregate, lost that game 3 nothing, not to go through. And then they did it again this year to a team that, you know, Liverpool's a good team. It was a heavyweight matchup to begin with, and they were able to, to hold it off and, and get it through. So for the second year in a row, Liverpool's in the finals. For the second year in a row, Barcelona's left to, you know, figure out what went wrong. And, you know, you lose one more year of Messi, basically, because... You're not getting any younger, and if you're Barcelona, you have to figure out, you know, what type of pieces you need to get around him so they can, you know, experience the, the Champions League success they had earlier in his career. But I, I think from a soccer perspective, this definitely ranks up there as one of the best teams I've ever watched, even though it was a 4 nothing drubbing. It, all that was at stake, it was, it was one of the best games I've seen. Um, when we look at... The first leg of that, and that messy free kick, which, I mean, that's, you know, as, as, as we talk about in golf, there are beautiful draws, beautiful fades, ugly draws, ugly fades. That is as beautiful left-to-right kick as you can have. And I said to you after I saw it, I said, there's no way any goalie, even the best goalies in the history of goalies can stop that. No, that was a perfectly placed kick, and I don't know if you remember, he had a goal like that, too, against the United States in the Copa America, I think, in 2015. Similar similar type of goal. It's just wonderfully hit, perfect pace, perfect placement, and it, it, there's nothing you can do about it. And that's just the brilliance of a player like that. He's going to be able to produce, you know, moments where you watch the fan, whether you're a soccer fan or not, and you're like, well, that's one of the best players that's ever walked the face of the earth in his profession. The one unique thing I think about the Champions League that we haven't talked to um, about these types of tournaments is that the week off between games, especially in a two-legged mat, two-legged type of system, is that momentum shifts dramatically from one game to another. So if you're the team that's up 3 nothing, and we've talked about this in the past, what's your strategy? Do you press? Do you try to get a goal? Do you sit back and let them you know, absorb the pressure? And in this situation, they were all over the place from the moment the game started. Liverpool took it to them, and again, they said if they weren't going to win, they were going to go out playing their brand of soccer one way or the other. Whether they lost 4 nothing or won 4 nothing, they were going to play their brand of soccer. And it was just one of those situations where, you know, you watch it in any sport where one team just imposes their will and plays their style, and the other team just can't match up with it. Even though they've played them already, they just can't match up with it. And that wasn't their night. It was Liverpool's night, and you know they magically go through and give their fans an opportunity to see something because you know they're in the Premier League race as well to you know win the championship for the Premier League. Chances are they aren't doing that on Sunday, so this is an opportunity for them and their fans to have you know one last you know 
shot at a trophy and to, to do it like they did was great. But, you know, from a skeptical standpoint, if I'm a fan, it's like, well, does that mean anything if we don't win? So they got to be able to bring that type of intensity on a neutral site in a couple of weeks when they play Tottenham. You know, uh, we're, 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 we're talking to Danny Flecker here on Teeing It Up. That's what I was going to bring up, is that Liverpool is having this magical season now where not only are they in the Champions League final, they're also one point behind Manchester City entering Championship Sunday in the Premier League. So Liverpool plays Wolverhampton Wanderers. And Manchester City plays Cardiff City. How hard is it, before we get to what you think will happen on Sunday, how hard is it to compete in both leagues week after week after week and put yourself at the top of the table for the Premier League while competing in Champions League? It's extremely difficult, especially if you're fighting for a spot. You know, we can take a look at a team like Barcelona and a team like Juventus, right? They've had their leagues wrapped up, and they've both lost in the Champions League. So... They knew what their objective was, and that was to win their Champions League draw, and they weren't able to do so. Then you can find a, kind of flip the script, and you have a team like Tottenham that they knew they weren't going to win their league. They didn't have any domestic cups that they were in, so their focus could be on getting results on Saturdays and Sundays in their league and then fielding their best outfit that they could for their, their Champions League draw. So, you know, they had a dramatic comeback today, and, and it just goes to show you that um, – Teams will define success in different ways. For teams like Liverpool and Tottenham, I can guarantee you, if you ask them, would you rather have a Premier League or Champions League, they'll say they'll have a Champions League. Um, all right, so now what do you think will happen on Sunday? Liverpool, this is, you know, the epic comeback. Um, a lot of emotion. You've got to turn around, what is it, five days, six days later, five days, and now try to get the win and hope that Cardiff City causes problems for Manchester. Uh, sorry, I, I gave the Manchester United opponent. The Manchester City opponent is Brighton and Hove Albion. Um, I probably did not pronounce that correctly. Um, my guess is, from, from the fact that I haven't heard of them and thus can't pronounce their name correctly, that Manchester City is an overwhelming favorite uh, to win that game and to win the league and become the first back-to-back -back, uh, Premier League champions in a while. Um, but w w if you're Liverpool, what's your mindset going into Sunday? So it's like similar to what we see like in the NFL, uh, where they play like all the games at the same time. That way there's no way that like results can be, I don't want to say fixed, but results can be altered in any yeah. way, shape, or form. Um, Liverpool has a tougher matchup for sure than Manchester City does. I can't see Manchester City get anything less than three points. They know that they have to win. They know that they are going to put their best players out there. They're playing an inferior opponent. Um, so I can't see Manchester City losing. If by some miraculous miracle they draw and Liverpool wins, Liverpool wins outright. Um, but I don't see Manchester City taking their foot off the gas for that title. It's the only trophy that they... they well, they do have a, a domestic league final in a couple weeks but it's uh you know the trophy that means probably the most to them right now and i can't see them not winning that game they just when it would take an epic collapse uh, of epic proportions for them not to win the, the premier league we talk all the time danny about how um when it comes to sports right um sometimes it's better to be facing pitching in the playoffs that you've seen before, whether it's a Yankee-Red Sox ALCS versus a Yankees-Twins ALCS where you've only played them, you know, six or seven times, or sorry, seven or eight times during the regular season. 
and you may not have seen some pitcher. With the Red Sox, you're playing 19 times. You've probably seen everybody they're going to throw out there. Um, for the Champions League final, with the guys who cannot participate due to trades and acquisitions and, and transfers um, and signings, do you think that the fact that they play Tottenham during the regular season helps Liverpool and vice versa? So I think, to be honest, in soccer, and I think it's like this in, in other sports too, when you play a team sometimes, multiple times throughout the regular season, and then you play them in the playoffs or in the final, um, those games can be, you know, one of two things. They can either be methodical, where teams are just probing at each other because they don't want to necessarily um, overextend themselves, or they can be amazing because you have two teams here that have played each other, very familiar with each other. They're not going to be surprised by any of the lineups that are out there. Tottenham could have Harry Kane back for the final, which would be a huge boost for them. Um, but I think in this game specifically, it's going to be a really good game. Just because these teams are familiar with one another, they're not going to hold back. They're going to say, you know, this is what's got us here. This is what we're going to do. Maybe there'll be a couple of wrinkles thrown in here and there. But I think that in soccer, at least where you have, you know, the familiarity of, of the teams that play each other, the rivalry that's going to be there, I think this game is going to be extremely physical. I think it's extremely um, tough. I think that the teams are going to be, you know, they both play like free-flowing styles, so I think it's going to be a very open game. Um, so I, I expect that game to be a good game. I do, you know, if I had to say right now if I'm handicapping it, you know, Liverpool is the favorite, you know, just given that they've been the better team all year. But there, there's something to be said about a team that has nothing to lose, and that's Tottenham. You know, they they have nothing to lose in this game for a team that's been trying to grasp some sort of, uh, you know, market in, in England as one of the top clubs there, you know, they're doing something that Manchester City hasn't done, that Man United hasn't done, that Arsenal hasn't done, uh, that Chelsea hasn't done in the last couple of years, and that's making it to the finals of the Champions League. So they're they're itching for it, I bet. You know, I know that it's going to be an interesting game, and two managers that are probably the two of the best managers in the league are going at each other. So I think this is, you know, based off of the finals, that you know, the teams that could have made it to the finals out of those semifinals, Probably the best matchup that you could get, and I think it's going to be a fierce game, and I'm really looking forward to it. It's a good way to cap off the soccer season. Where is it being held? This year it's in uh, Atletico. It's in Atletico Madrid's home stadium in Madrid, so it's in Spain. Okay, so we always talk in the Super Bowl about how it's one of the oddest games of the year because unless you end up in a in a home team's stadium, which has not happened yet in Super Bowl history or it's a team that has never been there or hasn't been there in years and somehow gets a ton of fans in, there's no real fans rooting one way. Jim Nance actually warned Tony Romo of this before the Super Bowl that don't be surprised if we're in the first quarter and there's just no crowd noise and you're having trouble getting into your emotional flow of the game. Do you think the fact that this game is in Spain, and obviously it's a lot easier to travel in Europe than it is in the U.S. or from the U.S. to other countries, um, do you think that one team will have an advantage over another in terms of support, uh, crowd support? Yeah, I think Liverpool might have the advantage just because I think their global market is bigger than Tottenham. Um, but, you know, you see it a lot in soccer with the World Cup and the Euros and stuff like that, that 
you know, fans do tend to travel pretty well for the soccer teams, and on top of that, it's in the soccer nation. You know, if it was held in the United States, I'd say it'd be different. Um, but I don't see that crowd not being enthusiastic at all. And I think when you're a soccer fan, you're looking for a, a, a good game with good players, and that's what you're getting on, on uh, June 1st when these two teams play. So the crowd, I think, is going to be into it. I think it might be more of a Liverpool crowd than a Tottenham crowd, but don't be surprised if there's a decent amount of neutral observers that are going to be rooting for an underdog. Um, this is the most soccer I think we've ever talked about in this podcast. <laughs> I mean, it's, uh, it's, it's, I mean, if you watch yesterday and today, and you can't say that soccer has like an granted, you can watch a one nothing game and be like, that was the most boring game I've ever seen in my life. Yeah, yeah, that, that's fair. But you can say that about baseball, hockey, football, you know, basketball, whatever. But if you watch yesterday and you watch today, you watch those two games and those those four teams play, and had the opportunity to see some historical, you know, events happen in that sport, and, and you come away with it and still say that soccer can't produce great great content, then you're just you know, you just want to avoid the fact that, that it did. So, um, I, I wish I had a chance to see today's game, but I was lucky enough to see yesterday's game, and, and it, I was speechless. I was like, I've never seen anything like that before. So, um, better than some of the, the NBA playoff games I've watched, that's for sure. Yes, and speaking of the NBA, LeBron has a chance to win a title this year. How so? He's an investor in uh, Liverpool. Ah, uh, yes, that's right, yeah. That is true. And John Henry has a chance to win two straight titles with the Red Sox and now with Liverpool. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see what, what happens. I mean... I would have to think LeBron will go to this. It's not like he's doing anything else. No, unless he's got family uh, considerations of some kind that, you know, one of his kids' games or something, I would think he would be there. Yeah, he'll he'll be there with his bottle of vino watching the game. Yes, yes, yes. He can avoid. Uh, uh, he can afford the trip. That's for sure. We're talking to Danny Flecka here on teeing it up. Um, the vibe of the Red Sox fan up there has it. You know, we we talked about this um, a bit a couple weeks ago, um, and I talked about it with somebody else a couple weeks ago. I forget who. I've had too many guests on this podcast lately. I've been having trouble keeping track. Um, Anyway, what's the vibe of the Red Sox fan? Oh, we talked about it with Luke Morrow, um, who was on the show a couple weeks ago. Uh, what's the vibe of the Red Sox fan up there? Now, to be honest with you, I don't really know because of the two other teams that are in the playoffs mm-hmm. right now. Most of the focus has been on the Bruins and on the Celtics. But when you take a look at it from like 10,000 feet, the Red Sox have sort of rise the ship a bit. I think if they win tonight, they're at 500. So um, just goes to show you, just because you get off to a bad start doesn't mean anything. I think... In baseball, there's like you know a couple of checkpoints you want to use, and that is uh, Memorial Day weekend and July 4th are like the two checkpoints, you know, the, the big checkpoints. So if the Red Sox are above 500 and in second place or first place in the AL, at least no one's going to remember their terrible start. So we'll see what happens. Both them and the Yankees seem to have figured some stuff out, and they have an easier part of their schedule coming up. So. Both teams are right back in it right where they're supposed to be, and I, I wouldn't be surprised if the Yankees and the Red Sox are still duking it out come you know Labor Day for, for that division. But uh, the Yankees had an opportunity early on to maybe you know put five or six or, or eight games between them and the Red Sox. They weren't able to do so. Um, they've been hot lately. They got four game lead right now as it stands, but 
Uh, it would be, I'd be more comfortable as a Yankee fan, you know, if I had an eight-game lead there going into, um, you know, May, knowing that the Red Sox have to make up eight games throughout the course of the year, and uh, you're playing some of your better baseball right now. Yeah. Um, by the way, what's interesting to me about this stretch with the Celtics and the Bruins is that Boston keeps ending up in these Game 7s and, and has been in just a super intense series. And the Celtics looked so great in Game 1 and then fell off the face of the earth. So what is Boston's sports mood right now? Because th- they've had these these series that have just been all over the place in emotional roller coasters. I mean, if you're the Bruins, you know, I said it to a couple of people and we were talking about them when Tampa Bay got swept that if the Bruins didn't get to the Cup Finals this year, they're never going to get there. And it looked a little shady against Columbus, but they were able to win three straight and, you know, take that series. You think they should be able to take Carolina, so, um, you know, they got game one tomorrow. We'll see what happens there. The Celtics, the mood is terrible. You know, they want Kyrie's head on a spike, basically. <laughs> um, and, you know, all the talk this morning was, they got to get rid of him. We don't want to resign him. He's something the growth of all the young players, yada, yada, yada. Got two months to go. It was like, trade all the young players, get Anthony Davis. You know, this is our window, blah, 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 blah. So, you know, as a Celtics fan, you know, they're usually the more positive of the fans up here. Um, but you can feel the, te- you know, the tension with this one player that they have on their team that's supposed, that was supposed to lead them that you know, walk up the court on on uh, Monday and says, yeah, the game was over. That's why I walked off. I just think that they're tired of his antics. And for a team, a, a Celtic team and a diehard Celtic fan that has watched teams, you know, if they were lucky enough with Bill Russell, Havlicek, Kuzi, Tommy Heinsohn, all the way up to, you know, Larry Bird, Mikhail, and then the Paul Pierce days. Those are always teams that, that fought and were gritty and were tough. And this Celtic team isn't showing any of that. You know, they, they've, in this Milwaukee series, they've been in the, at, they, at halftime in each game, they've been in the lead. And then they've given up 64, 68, and 66 points in the second half. It's like, you know, what are you doing? Where's the intensity? You know, how are you playing this good defense in the first half? And then in the second half, you're coming out shooting bricks, not getting stops. You know, in game, in game uh, four, Giannis and Middleton were on the bench, and they get outscored 17-7 by their bench, by Milwaukee's bench. That's unacceptable when you had all your starters out there. So I don't know if this team has a fight in them to keep it going. Could we see their best performance tonight, perhaps? But they still got to win three in a row if they wanted to move on. It's going to be a tough thing to do. But I just think if you're a Celtic fan, you're, you're looking at this team and say, where's the fight? Where's the intensity? Where's the... The moxie, you know, that the team last year had with a bunch of no, not I don't want to say a bunch of no names, but a bunch of young guys, and were able to take LeBron James to the seventh game and lost by three points in that in Game Seven. So I just think that the Celtic team just doesn't have any of those characteristics that the Celtic fans are used to seeing from their teams. Um, hey, Nick fans will take Kyrie for all their faults, but it's the stunted growth of Jason Tatum that I think has really shocked people this year. I would agree. And, he, you know, there were a couple of times in game four where you could see he was, you know, like generally frustrated with what was happening. You know, he he's, he hit a three on 
in, uh, I think in the third quarter of game four, and we, it was his first three made in the series. He was like one of 12. He was one of, he was 0 for 11 before that. Um, you know, he took a couple of bad offensive fouls just trying to force the ball. And at the end, the Celtics were, were playing hero ball. They were just taking people one-on-one and not staying within what makes them successful. And that is a dish and drive, you know, drive and dish, ball movement oriented team. And they just aren't that right now. So it's going to be interesting to see what type of performance they come out with tonight. You know, a lot of people on the radio this morning were saying, like, you know, we wouldn't be surprised if Kyrie just, like, hucks up 30 shots and is like, you know, screw this, I'm done. I'm out. I'm leaving Boston anyway. Um, or they could all just dig deep and be like, this is it. You know, we got to fight. We got to go back to Boston for Friday, and then we'll take it from there. We shall see how it turns out tonight. Is there anything else that I've left out that you wish to talk about? I think that's it. I mean, we got the playoffs for both basketball and hockey and full swing. Game five tonight that are going to be big games, and uh, we'll see what happens. But it's probably, you know, the best time of the year, right? You know, we got playoffs going on. Baseball's going to start heating up. And before you know it, we're at, uh, we're at training camp football. So You forgot um, the PGA Championship next week. Yeah, I didn't know it was happening, so... <laughs> That's Danny Flecker for you. Uh, as always, Danny, it's a pleasure to have you on Teeing It Up. Thank you. Um, con- congratulations to you and all the soccer world for an amazing day yesterday. Um, something you won't forget as a as a neutral fan who is able to just sit back and enjoy the beauty of the moment and not be, you know, uh, up or down by the result. Oh, yeah. It was a, it was a, it's been a good sports week up here. You know, at least for me, I've enjoyed, you know, watching the games, both soccer, basketball, hockey. So I'll see if it keeps on going. Thank you, sir. And um, I will thank all of you. Um, excuse me. Um, and thank all of you for listening to this edition of Teeing It Up with Jeremy Schilling. And we will see you next time.